Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Um, hey, appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank Jeff for <clears throat> taking lead today. Uh, Logan's out celebrating Father's Day, and uh, so uh, Jeff was up here today. Appreciate that. Well, <clears throat> I know most of you guys are sitting here thinking, man, that meat is being smoked just right. Or you're thinking about, i got to make sure I get my steak on that uh, grill here quickly after the service. So I'm going to move quickly through this message, all right? Because I care. It's my gift to you, fathers, um, because that's what I'm all about. So we're wrapping up this uh, real quick series that we've done through Ezekiel, um, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I know it's, uh, it, it's been really hard on me, and I know it's all about me, so I uh, appreciate the condolences I've gotten every week. Um, but we are going to be finishing this up today. We've been looking at Ezekiel and, and some of the weird things that uh, God had Ezekiel do uh, as he was trying to encourage or at least let the exiles in Babylon, the Jewish people who've been taken from Israel to Babylon after Babylon defeated Israel and uh, letting them know why God was doing what he was doing. In fact, they had broken a contract that they had made with God and they had uh, started to worship other gods. They rejected him. Uh, they began doing life the way the other nations were doing it. And so God told him if he did that, uh, I'm going to discipline you. And one of the ways I'm going to discipline you is bring other nations in and, and take you out in order to get your attention and bring you back. So that's what's been happening with Ezekiel. All the Old Testament prophets basically are dealing with that kind of issue at different times in Israel's life. And so this is Ezekiel. And, um, and so he's done some strange things, as we know. But uh, starting in Ezekiel 33 and through 48, which we're going to cover all of those. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but starting in Ezekiel 33 all the way through 48, which is about 15 years of Ezekiel's life, God starts having Ezekiel tell those that are in Babylon, the Jews that are in Babylon, that God has not, is not finished with them yet, that, that there is hope, that there's things that he's going to do to restore them physically as a nation, but more importantly, maybe, restore them relationally with him to make individual Jewish people right with him. Because again, being restored to God is an individual thing. Salvation is an individual thing. So he's going to be talking about both of those. And so if you start in Ezekiel 33 through the rest, 48, that's what he's talking about. This restoration of Israel in the land. Um, and Ezekiel 37, which is where we're going to be today, it's page 866, if you're using the Bible there, um, we're just going to look at one chapter, because this one chapter kind of summarizes everything that's going on, and it's the best known vision, if you want to call it that, that Ezekiel had, which is Ezekiel's, anybody, anybody, anybody? Dry bones, thank you very much, you were in the first service, but anyways, uh, you did a good job, I appreciate that. You said it with confidence, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have let anybody know. Uh, I feel bad. But thanks for listening, Jessica. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, every once in a while. I, I kept everybody awake at 9 o'clock. We had a couple, um, we had several first-time attenders, so I went up to them afterwards. And I said, thank you for coming. Sorry that this was your first week. Um, I don't know. Has Ezekiel been good? I mean, a little feedback. You guys liked it? Okay. All right. Thank you. So, first of all, I'm going, to give you some, I'm going to give you some things, and then when I'm done with these things, if you want to check out, feel free. Um, but here's the first thing. So God's eternal plan of salvation, 
it may seem like it's taking an eternity, an eternity to accomplish, all right? But it will be accomplished. When you start thinking about all of the Bible, when you start thinking about our lives, we, we have a tendency to think about the 80 or 90 years that we might live here on earth, or we might even think about, well, yeah, you know, the 1970s or the 50s or whatever. We'll, think of, we'll consider those in our life and, or the impact of maybe the fact that we've been around for 240 plus years, whatever it's been. I don't even remember. I wasn't there when it happened. So, um, but we, we, don't, we have a tendency to not think that this has been going on for a long time. Now, despite what the evolutionists will tell you that it's been millions of years, we've been, this earth has been around for eight to 10,000 years. And so God's been working this plan of salvation ever since then. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he started the ball rolling in order to get people who have sinned, which we all have, right with him. Now, why is he taking this long? I don't have the answer. Because that's God and why God is doing it. But we're learning a lot about him, so that's good, right? And so it continues today through you and me, those of us who place our faith in Christ. We have a responsibility to tell other people about that, and that's part of the process. He wants to see more and more people coming to faith in Christ. And it will continue until the events in Revelation are completed. All of this uh, we're going to be tying together today. There's a lot of info, but it, hopefully it all kind of, the, the dots get connected, hopefully. Um, so it's going to continue until... Whatever happens in the book of Revelation, which is going to be in our future still, there are things happening today that point to that, that we might be getting closer and closer. But All right, so there's that. And then secondly, we need to get some background information. You need to know what's going on in the Old Testament to understand what's going on in the New Testament and help us understand what's going on in life today. So, first thing is this. God initiated a relationship with Abraham to accomplish his plan. And the plan was to develop a a nation which came from Abraham. The nation was called Israel. From Israel, the world was going to be blessed. And we know the blessing was Jesus Christ, the fact that God the Son was going to put on flesh, become man, die on the cross, so that we could have our sins forgiven if we trusted in him and believed that he died on the cross for us. So that 1,500 years before Ezekiel, I, I, I get it that our minds can't comprehend this, but 1,500 years prior to Ezekiel, God initiates a relationship with Abraham, some guy, all right? And he makes promises to Abraham that he's committed to fulfilling. One of them them is that he was going to become a great nation, which he has. His descendants became Israel. One of them was that he was going to bless the world, which he has, Jesus Christ. But the other one that we're going to talk about today, part of it is that he's going to be promised a land, a, a big chunk of land. Do we have that? I, I'm, I'm getting lost in my notes. So Canaan, which is present-day Israel, but at the time it was called Canaan, and Abraham was living there. He had followed the little track up there and came out. He was living in there. God initiates the relationship, which is what God does. He initiates relationships. Man doesn't chase after God. God in a sense, chases after man. So he initiates a relationship. And he, he gives, Genesis 15, and he gives him, here's the land he's going to get. It's the orange. So he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you land that's going to stretch from Egypt all the way over to the Persian Gulf, all the way up to what is present-day Lebanon. I'm going to give you all that land. Well, has Israel ever been in that land fully? Answer is no. No, right. Not as a nation, 
they're scattered all over the place, but they're not a nation. So he's going to, he's telling Abraham 1,500 years before Ezekiel, hey, this is what's going to happen. In Ezekiel's day, Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and all the people are scattered all over the place. And so what Ezekiel 37 is doing is he's going to have a vision where Israel is described as being dry bones. They're piled up in a valley. They're, they're hopeless. They're completely cut off from God and his promises. That's what they think. That's what they're feeling. That's what they're experiencing. But see, with God, he always fulfills his promises. And so because he always fulfills his promises, there's hope. And so 33 to 48 is this prophecies of hope, that Israel has hope that God is going to bring them back um, nationally, but he's also going to bring them back spiritually. So, first thing, start reading. Oh, oh yeah, no, go back. That was good. Thank you. So, this is the land that Israel, that yellow there, that's not me having some issues um, trying to draw yellow, but that's the land that they're currently in. Okay, so they, they've never, as I said before, never have occupied all of it. All right, let's get on reading. So, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Now, this is not actual valley, not an actual bones. This is, he's having this vision. He's having this thing where God's kind of laying this out for him. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface. And that's going to mean something later on, because we're going to talk about graves in a little bit. But on the surface of the valley, in low, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, only you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. Now he's talking about physical life, and we'll explain that in a little bit. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive. Now again, it's signifying a process, which we'll talk about here in a bit. And you will know that I am the Lord. Again, God's ultimate goal is that we... Israel at that time, the other nations at that time, us today, that we would know him, that we would have this intimate relationship, understanding of who God is. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and the flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into, into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So what's God saying? Well, this first section here is that he's promising to restore Israel as a nation. He's going to restore them in the land, the land that he promised Abraham. Because right? he's got to fulfill that because he's promised to do that. And so he talks about dry bones. And this is referring to the physical condition, in that sense, of Israel as a nation. Um, so again, he's, he's not talking, in this case, about individual Jewish people, but together as a nation. So they're dried up. They're dead. They're broken in pieces. And if you, if you study out what happened when Babylon went in that last time to Israel and they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, they, they didn't leave a stone on top of 
another stone. I mean, it was just, they were scattered all over the place. And he talks about this breath. And so in the Hebrew, just like in the Greek, the word for breath is the same that could be used for breath, or it could be used for wind, or it could be used for spirit, human spirit or God's spirit. Here, he's talking about human spirit in the sense of the spirit of the nation, the, the nation coming back to life. Later on, he's going to talk about my spirit, and that's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, which gives spiritual life. But right here, he's talking about life in, uh, in the nation of Israel. So Israel's going to come back together as a nation. And then he says the sinews, flesh, and skin. And so he's talking about it's, it's going to be a process. It's going to be a step-by-step. It, it didn't just boom, boom. It just didn't happen. It was sinews, flesh, skin, and it kind of happened over time. And so as you look back on this, that's what happened with Israel. They came back into the land in that little section that they were in um, over time. It was, it was not a, a thing that happened immediately. So let's just work through this real quick because it's kind of some cool history. Uh, some of you guys are going to think this is exciting. The rest of you guys, I'll be hearing snoring. But that's besides the point. So there was three returns. So Israel's out in Babylon. Uh, eventually Babylon gets defeated by Persia. There's a guy named Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, in 538. He says, hey, Israel, go ahead, you Jewish people who want to go back to Jerusalem, you can go back, and I'm going to help you build Jerusalem. I'm going to help you build your temple. And so three guys, a guy named Zerubbabel, which is a great name, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, those three guys led campaigns back into Jerusalem to build the city, to build the wall, to build the temple. You can read about those in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Daniel, who is an Old Testament prophet, we talked about Daniel, Daniel and Ezekiel were both in Babylon at the same time. Um, Daniel was actually in the government, even though he was Jewish, and uh, Ezekiel was among the people. But Daniel served Cyrus the Great. So it was a little bit later on in Daniel's life, but he serves Cyrus the Great. Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 9 that he was reading Jeremiah's writings. So Jeremiah, as you guys know, is, uh, if at least you've been here the last couple weeks, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem prophesying about everything that was going on that Ezekiel was also prophesying about. He just happened to be in Babylon. So Jeremiah is prophesying all the stuff that's going on in Jerusalem and why it's going on in Jerusalem. He's writing it down, and he's sending it to the Jews in Babylon. And Daniel's reading it. And Daniel reads... In Jeremiah, that this exile, the fact that the Jews are in Babylon, is only going to last 70 years. So Daniel starts doing the figuring. He's like, oh, wait a second. That's going to be in my lifetime. There's a real good chance that I'll be alive when they're able to send Jewish people back. So he begins praying. Chapter 9 is all about him praying, and he gets some other information from God, which is pretty cool. You can read about it. But here's the kicker. So this is a little bit of speculation, but it's probably pretty good speculation. If they were writing down Jeremiah's words and sending them to Babylon, Isaiah, who was a prophet 150 years earlier, no doubt they wrote down his words, because we have Isaiah today, um, and the Jews were able to bring those with them to Babylon. And so Daniel could have very easily told Cyrus, you know what? You're, in, you're mentioned in Isaiah's writings. 
150 years before Cyrus lived, God told Isaiah to tell Israel that there's going to be a guy named Cyrus who's going to bring Israel back into the land. That's pretty cool. 150 years. You can read about it. Um, Isaiah 43, I think it is. <laughs> wow, you guys are really excited. I can tell. <laughs> it's just like, all I'm, all I hear is like crickets, you know. Anyways, pretty cool. Isaiah 44, 28 is where he talks about it. And 45, he talks about it as well. But as you see on the map, they just came back to Jerusalem. That's what the star is. So there again, they're not back in all of the land. And certainly these people have not been made right with God in that sense. They, they have not had salvation in that sense. So, then in 1948... Anybody know what happened in 1948? Yeah, Israel was made a sovereign nation, right? So 1948, the United Nations said, hey, we're gonna, because of the Holocaust, because of World War II and, and all that kind of stuff, we're going to partition out of place in what was Canaan, now Israel. And, and that's going to be um, Israel. I think we have a, a map again, right? Do I have the map? Yeah. So there's that yellow line again, the arrow with a squiggly. And that's Israel. It's basically present-day Israel. And you can see all the nations around them. Of course, there's always kind of you know, fighting going on in the Arab nations. Uh, Palestinians don't want them there and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's basically the nation that they find themselves in. As of 2022, so since 1948 to 2022, 3.4 plus million Jews have returned to Israel from around the world, from the nations around them. The total population as of 2023 is 9.7 million people. And so we've seen since the exile and the returns that Israel has been, or Jews have been going back to Israel, just like God said it was going to happen. Israel was going to become a nation, which it did in 1948. And people, the Jews, are returning. Even to this day, they keep on returning. Sometimes like over 200,000 a year have returned since 1948 in some years. It was crazy as I was looking through the, the numbers. So we call this a partial fulfillment. So this is, they're in the land, small part, and there are Jews in the country. Um, but what about the spiritual side of things? Moving on. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So if you're wondering who these bones are or what these bones are, it's the whole nation of Israel. It's not the church. It's not Christians. It's, it's Israel. It's the nation of Israel, not individuals. But these are all now the, the house of Israel. And it's describing their condition. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Again, as a nation, they were cut off from God because they were disobeying. Therefore prophecy, uh, prophesy and say to them, Thus said the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves. And so this starts getting kind of confusing. This is not referring to the bones anymore because the bones were laying on the ground. They weren't in graves. And cause you to come out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, and I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. He keeps saying my people. I will, be, I will put my spirit. So when is this going to happen? When are the graves going to be opened, in a sense, and the dead come to life? Well, it's when my spirit, when I put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. Again, so now he's talking about spiritual life. And I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I 
uh, I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. So, where am I at? Where am I at? My nose. You guys think you have it bad. Try to be teaching this kind of stuff. So he's talking about here, he mentions that there's going to be a spiritual or a physical restoration to the land. Now he's talking about a spiritual restoration, but it's again, it's not of the nation as it is individuals within the nation. Okay? Um, because again, salvation is an individual thing. It can't be a national thing. So the people realize they have their spiritual condition. They realize that they're dead, that they're hopeless, they're completely cut off from God. And then God says, I'm gonna, I promise to open up their graves. Now, some people would say, well, um, the church today is, uh, you know, Israel is no longer being used by God, and so the church is doing that. So the church takes all the promises that God gave Israel, and they make it for the church, and that's not accurate. And so this is not the rapture, which we'll talk about here in a little while. It's not the rapture of the church, the church being taken out of graves. Um, this is, he's talking here about the fact that these are spiritually dead people. Israel is made up of spiritually dead people, and he's going to give them spiritual life. He's going to open up the graves. He's going to give spiritual life to these individuals. And how's that going to happen? He says, when I put my spirit within you, when God's spirit comes into a person, that's when spiritual life is given. So when did that happen? Or when did the potential for that to happen happen? Holy Spirit came when? Pentecost. So, Ezekiel, is, or God, is saying to Israel, there's going to come a point in time in the future, which is about another 500 years in, in Ezekiel's future, that God is going to put his spirit into Jewish people. Well, since that time, Jesus was born, God the Son, became man, was born, he lived 33 years, died on the cross, he died on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven. We could be made right with God. And then he went back to heaven. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And now God's Spirit has been, is preached. The gospel has been preached. 3,000 Jewish people on that day placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Partial fulfillment of what Ezekiel is talking about. We find out more, especially guys, if you're coming on Thursday nights, you're finding out about this because we're going through the book of Acts. Another 500 or 5,000 come to Christ. That's just men, by the way. And so there's, we have thousands of people placing, Jews, placing their faith in Christ. And so there's this partial fulfillment happening in, in uh, Israel. And so, according to Paul, a true Jew is somebody who has placed their faith in Christ. This is what he says in Romans uh, chapter 2. He says, For is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. So he's saying to be a true Jew, it's not just being born a Jew. All right? You can be Jewish by nationality, and you can also be Jewish by religion. And so it's not just that you're born Jewish and are in the religion of uh, Judaism. And he talks about the circumcision of the flesh, and if you're wondering what that is, you can ask your dad today at lunch what circumcision is. But then he goes on and he says this, uh, go back, please. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly in our hearts, or spiritually. 
And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when He comes into our lives, when we confess our sins and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and He removes our sinful flesh, or at least the power that it has over us. All right? Not by the letter. In other words, not by the law of Moses. It can't do that. And His praise is not from men, but from God. All right, so you hanging with me? God says this, that God will place them them being the ones who God's Spirit is in, who have spiritual life and are right with God, I will place them in the land. So there's a point in time, which is in our future, because we know that Israel isn't in all that land, that there's going to be Jewish people who have placed themselves, or placed their faith in Christ, so God's Spirit is in them, they are spiritually alive, who are in the entire land promised to Abraham. Alright? So that's what Ezekiel is telling us. So when does God give believing Jews the entire land that he promised to Abraham? So he talks about next. I'm just going to summarize some verses and then we're going to read some verses and then I'm going to try to tie it all together. The next thing he talks about are the, the illustration of the two sticks. And again, this is Ezekiel, so he gets told to do some strange things. So he says, take a stick and then take another stick. And on one stick, you're going to write Judah, sons of Israel, his companions. On the other stick, you're going to write jo- Joseph, stick of Abraham, all house of Israel, his companions. I don't know. We won't get into it. But he's supposed to take those two, tie them together, put them in his hand, and walk around the city. Because then what he wants is for the Jews that are in the city go, hey, why are you doing that? And then he's going to tell them several things about that. He's going to say that God's promising to bring Israel back into the land from the nations. So that's going to continue to happen. Here's, here's a, the, to me, the key. Then he's supposed to tell them they're going to be one nation with one king reigning over them. Hmm. When will that happen? They will no longer worship idols or live in disobedience to God. God will deliver them from their sin and cleanse them. And they will be his people and he will be their God. Going all the way back into history, not since King Solomon, about 900 B.C., has Israel been one nation with one king. They weren't in the entire land either, by the way. And today, they're not in the entire land, and they don't have a king. They elect their people. So when is this going to happen? This is something that's going to be future still. So then, he says this. My servant David will be king over them. I don't know if you guys have checked your history, but David's been dead now for 3,000 years. And David hasn't been king in Israel any time during that time. All right? And they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They're going to be obedient to me, willingly so. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace. And that really kind of, as we look back on it, is a new covenant, which is the gospel message, uh, with them. And it will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary, so there's going to be a temple, because that word always relates to a physical temple, in their midst forever. 
My dwelling place, which is something different than his temple, also will be with them. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will not sanctify Israel when by sanctuary is in their midst. So, is, is God having Ezekiel tell us that King David is actually going to rise from the dead? Which would be in our future. Well, there's three options here that we have. First one is, yes, King David will rise from the dead at some point in the future. Jeremiah says that, word for word. Daniel 12 references that the saints of the Old Testament will one day rise to be on this earth again. Which means Abraham, if that's true, which means Abraham, who was given the promise from God to be in the land from Egypt to Persian Gulf to Lebanon and back, Abraham will literally experience that promise because he'll be living it because he'll be raised from the dead. So there's, there's that option. Second option, he's a human descendant of David. You're like, come on, how would they know? Well, if you do studies, they, they're doing DNA and gene uh, work in Israel, and they're able to go back, and they're getting better and better at understanding who is a line of priests from the Old Testament through all the DNA stuff that they do. Well, if they can do that, they can maybe even find a line of David. And sometimes, because there are still those in Israel who are too, you know, working towards getting the temple built and doing all that kind of stuff if you research it all. The third one is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who's in the line of David, he's called the son of David. I'm going to let you guys study that out. I'm not going to get into it this morning. That's all for you guys to study out. Um, I'm going to move on with this. So, what, what Ezekiel explained back in the two sticks, and what we just read about, that can only happen in what John... The, God, the Apostle John wrote in the book of Revelation, it could only happen in, at a time where it's called the thousand-year reign of Christ, the, the millennial kingdom. Because there they'll be in the land, only believers, believing Jews. They'll be multiplying freely. They'll live forever. Now, when he says forever, there's the millennial kingdom, and at the end of that becomes eternity. And in eternity, Revelation 21 and 22, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so we don't just go into God's presence at that point. We're actually beyond a new heaven, or in a new heavens and a new earth, a new universe, a new earth, and we're going to be living on it. You know, unbelievable, blow your mind type of stuff. But anyways, so there will be a covenant of peace forever. My sanctuary, so there's going to be a temple there. God will dwell with them. So I'm going to give you a little bit of insight where I stand on who the King David is. I believe it's Jesus. So God will dwell with them. Jesus is God. And so he'll be reigning on the throne in Jerusalem over the entire earth, which would be the, also include the area of land that God promised to Abraham. And then the nations, the non-Jews, would also believe who are there. Well, of course they would because they will be believers. So are you ready for this? I'm going to try to tie it all together for you guys. Some of you guys might recognize this. Here's a chart. End times timeline. Some of you guys are like, all right, charts, I love them. Woo, the rest of you guys... You're thinking about the steak you're going to eat. So, real quickly, Israel's three returns from exile, Ezekiel 33 through 37. 
They're in the land finally. They spend about 430 years in the land before Jesus shows up. God the Son puts on flesh, becomes man, Jesus Christ. He's Jewish. He's in the line of David. He lives 33 years. He dies on the cross. He ascends back to heaven. He says, hey, when I do that, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. The gospel is preached. 3,000 Jewish people have God's Spirit breathed into them. They have spiritual life. Another 5,000 later, and of course we know that Jewish people have been coming to faith in Christ uh, for years. All right. Did I, did I miss a, a slide? I feel like I did. Maybe I'm not there yet. Yeah, I did. Oh, yeah. No, did I mention there's only 15,000 believers in Israel today? Ah, sorry about that. So don't go back, just, just go, just, yeah, thank you. Something I forgot to tell you, because there's a problem. Not only is Israel not in all the land, but not every Jewish person in the land is a believer. Do you know there's only 15,000 Jewish people in Israel today who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ? Now, there's been Jewish people around the world who have placed their faith in Christ, but in Jerusalem, or in Israel, there's only 15,000. There's like 185,000 who call themselves Christians, but we're talking about those who have actually placed their faith in Christ, only about 15,000. Okay, so that's kind of key to what I'm saying here. So, people have come to Christ. Now we're in this time called a church age. This is a, a period of time we don't know how long it's going to last. Paul tells us in Romans 11 that God has set Israel aside, and so now he's dealing with the non-Jewish people, which are Gentiles, which are you and me, unless you have Jewish blood. And so he's dealing with us. He's giving us the gospel. He's allowing us to know who Jesus Christ is, and and people are coming to faith in Christ far, far faster than Jewish people are. We don't know how long it lasts, but at some point he raptures the church. And people will use Ezekiel 37 for that, but that's not what he's talking about. He's going to rapture the church. The church is going to be gone. When that happens, and by the way, some of those will be Jewish people because they're part of the church in that sense. The only people remaining on the earth are non-believers. At that moment in time when that happens, the only people left are non-believers. Now, we know from Revelation that there will be some probably non-Jewish people who place their faith in Christ because they're going to be like, whoa! (laughs) But the Bible said it's true, so they're going to place their faith in Christ. We know that 144,000 Jews are going to place their faith in Christ. And we also know that there's going to be a one-world government. Now, some people will be, ha, ha, you guys believe in a one-world government. Yeah, have you heard of globalists? Have you heard of the World Economic Forum? Our, our world wants to become one. That's why politicians are doing what politicians are doing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's going to be a one-world government, and the guy the Bible calls an antichrist, he's going to be leading that. So when that all starts... There's going to be people who are placing their faith in Christ, non-Jews and Jews. The Antichrist is going to kill most of them because he's going to say, I want to be God, you have to worship me, and then he's going to kill those. There's going to be a small group of Jewish believers, according to Revelation, that are going to be held up in the mountains around Jerusalem. And the Antichrist is going to come towards the end of the seven years. He's going to come and try to kill them. And that's when... Jesus Christ comes back, his second coming, meaning coming to the earth. He destroys the Antichrist, all of his henchmen. He destroys all the people who have not placed their faith in Christ. And who's left? Believing Gentiles and believing Jews. Who's reigning over the world, including the land that he promised Abraham? Jesus Christ. So now, 
What Ezekiel is saying is happening. It's in our future. But Jesus, son of David, King David, reigning, Israel has their property that God said they're going to have. He's also reigning over the entire world. And potentially, according to Daniel 12, even Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all of those from the Old Testament are going to be raised and living in the land, fulfilling what God said was going to happen. How's that for a Father's Day message, huh? Yeah. You guys have to appreciate it. Even John's clapping. I'm, I'm long. So, you guys came today thinking, man, you need to hear a good message about being a good father, and I gave you that one. So, uh, I'm sorry, but we got through our series, and that's what's important. I'm, I'm exhausted. I plan on taking a nap when I get home. What do we learn from this? What can we take away from this? Well, I'm going to back the truck way back. If you hear some beeping, it's because I'm going backwards. First one is this. Believer, a person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we need to be faithful to bring God's message of hope to the people that are in our lives. We know what it's like to have God's forgiveness, not because of anything we've done, because of what he's done for us. We know what it's like to have hope again, to know that our lives are not, aren't just taken care of here, but our eternity is taken care of. Ezekiel was obedient to bring a message that, of hope to Israel, but he, he had to do some really strange things. We don't have to do the strange things. Well, unless loving our family members and doing things for them that they need to have done and, and, and showing them love when they're maybe not so lovely and you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of weird. We may, we may look weird and our message may sound weird, but it's a message of hope. And we need to be faithful to do like do that like Ezekiel was. If you're here this morning and, and you're an unbeliever, someone who has not placed their faith in Christ, maybe you're, maybe you're feeling like Israel did. You're, you're, you're feeling kind of spiritually dry. You're feeling dead. You're feeling disconnected from God. You need to know that just as Israel had hope, if they would place their faith in God and in Jesus Christ, that there's hope today. In fact, look what Paul says in Ephesians, and he uses a lot of the same wording. It says, you were dead. He's talking to people who have placed their faith in Christ, but before that, they were spiritually dead. So any person who has not placed their faith in Christ is spiritually dead. All right? He says this, you were dead, just like Israel was, in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich, and his, his mercy is infinite, because of his great love, which is infinite, with which he loved us, even when we were dead... In our transgressions, because it's sin that keeps us separated from God, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. For by grace, again, grace is a gift from God. It's not something that you have to, to do or be good enough to get God to love you. All right, He's just going to give you this gift of grace, this gift of salvation. You have been saved. You've been saved from what? Sin's judgment, that eternity in hell through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, again, it's a gift, so that no one may boast. If you're here this morning, and you're like, man, I gotta, I've got to make sure that I'm right with God, that I know that I can have hope for this world and, and the world to come, to come, 
then it's just simply this. You need to admit that you've sinned and you need God's forgiveness. Just like Israel admitted, yeah, we're just dried up and we feel disconnected and cut off from God. Just admit that. Because that's what you are. And we who have done that in the past, that's who we were. Everyone has sinned. Everyone's messed up. And then believe that Jesus died for your sin. Jesus was the one, God the Son, becoming Jesus Christ, became man so he could die in our place. He's our representative. And so he dies on the cross for us. He takes God's judgment on himself for us. And then we confess that to God. We just say, God, I know that I've sinned against you. I believe and put in my full weight of trust on the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I believe what you say about that. And I'm asking you to forgive me my sin, and I'm trusting in Christ. Just having that conversation with God, letting God know your heart. He says that you'll, your sins will be forgiven. He will breathe his spirit into you. He will give you spiritual life. You will be restored in your relationship with him. The Bible says you become a child of God. He takes you through this life, provides and protects. And then when you die, the ultimate protection, he takes you to heaven with him. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer.